Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, Wanderers. Amazon has released a new trailer of the Rings of Power series, so go check that out if you haven't already. Keep an eye out for a bonus episode where I'll give you my breakdown of what's happening in that trailer. And by the way, if you are not currently an Amazon Prime subscriber, use the links in the show notes for every episode to try either a free trial to Amazon Prime Video or a 50% discount on all of Amazon Prime's services. For today, welcome to the Second Age of Middle-Earth. The Second Age will see the rise of Morgoth's servant Sauron, the creation of the Rings of Power, and the rise and fall of the Kingdom of Numenor. Spoiler alert. I know I said last time that we would cover the last chapter of the Silmarillion, and we did, but tacked on to the end of the main book and before the lineage charts and index, are actually two more titled stories in the published Silmarillion. So today's episode is a breakdown of the first part of a tale called Akalabaith, or The Downfall of Numenor, in a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published in 1977 after his death. A link to purchase The Silmarillion is in the show notes. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers! Today's episode date is July 14th. We are 50 days away from the debut of Amazon's Rings of Power series. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 2941, Bilbo and the dwarves are riding into the mountains, and Bilbo is thinking about all the great summer activities that are happening in the Shire. And in the year 3018, Gandalf is a prisoner in the Great Tower Orthanc, and Frodo is making plans to leave Hobbiton. This is adapted from the Today in Middle-earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Let's check the map. These map checks are inspired by the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books, and I hope give you the context for today's story. If none of this makes sense, please listen to a few previous episodes and catch back up. The first age of Middle-earth ended with the forces of the Valar subduing the Dark Lord Morgoth, reclaiming the Silmarils, and expelling Morgoth into the Timeless Void. So it is now the Second Age of Middle-earth. A lot of things happen in the Second Age, but here's the problem. It's all spread out in a lot of different places, and you kind of have to piece the puzzle together. So that's what I'll attempt to do today. Some of these puzzle pieces include the Akalabeth and the Cimmerillion, which I mentioned earlier. You should read it if you haven't already, because I'll draw heavily from that source. I will also draw from the Return of the King Appendix A, which has a good high-level summary of the First and Second Ages. Also in the Return of the King in Appendix B is a section called Tale of Years. This is basically a chart of major events during the Second Age, and will be a useful guidepost as we go along. Christopher Tolkien's book, titled Unfinished Tales, also has a deeper lore of the Second Age and Numenor, and maybe I'll mix some of those details in as well. Also, Carl Hostetter has further published various manuscripts by Tolkien regarding the Kingdom of Numenor in his book, The Nature of Middle-Earth. If you'd like to purchase any of these books, you can find a link in the show notes. And lastly, coming out in November, is a new book called The Fall of Numenor which is a compilation of all things Second Age, so stay tuned for news on that new edition. Okay, boring stuff out of the way. Let's get to Numenor. The story of Numenor begins with Elros, one of the sons of Eärendil and Elwing, and the brother to Elrond. Because of the voyage of Eärendil and Elwing, Elros and Elrond were able to choose which of their lineages they would be counted with, either the elves or men. Elrond chose to be counted with the elves, 
and Elros chose to be counted among men. After the great battle, which ended the first age of Middle-earth, the evil men who had followed Morgoth and yet survived fled into the west and became wicked kings over the, quote, wild and lawless men that had remained behind. Elros and the faithful men who had fought for the Valar did not return to the east. For their faithfulness to the elves, the men were given a new land. Quote, a land was made for the Adain to dwell in, neither part of Middle-earth nor of Valinor. This land was an island that was raised from the depths of the sea and was situated about halfway between Middle-earth and the Undying Lands in the west, although it was slightly closer to the west. Some of the powers that govern the world, the Valar, themselves, created this land. Aule, the craftsmen, established it. Yavanna, responsible for plant life, enriched it. And the elves brought many flowers from their own island of Tol Eresea. When 32 years had passed, the island was finally ready, and the Adain sailed there, led by Erendil Star, and assisted by the shipbuilding elves. Sailing to the west, they see the land, quote, shimmering in a golden haze, and find the country to be, quote, fair and fruitful. They give it a new name in the high elvish tongue, Numenor, or Westernesse. Elros was appointed by the Valar to be the first king of this people, and thus the kingdom of Numenor was established, and, quote, this was the beginning of that people that in the Grey Elven speech are called the Dunedain, the Numenorians, kings among men. There's the first use of the word Dunedain to describe the people of Numenor. Though this is the beginning, most people are more familiar with the last remnants of the Dunedain, more commonly known as Rangers, in the lands about the Shire in the Third Age, of whom Aragorn is a member. Not only were the Numenorians blessed with a new, divinely given land, but they were also blessed with long life, quote, many times that of lesser men, as Appendix A points out. They weren't troubled by sickness either, and though they could not, quote, escape from the doom of death that Iluvatar had set upon all mankind, in Numenor they lived a blissful and peaceful life, much like the elves and Valar in Valinor. Elros, for his part, was a descendant of all three houses of faithful men, as well as the elves, and as well as the Maiar, through Luthien, whose mother was Molian of Doriath. Elros's blessing of long life was 500 years. The blessing of long life is a major theme you'll want to watch for as you wander through the Akalabeth. Or, to articulate this theme in its opposite, watch for the different attitudes and feelings that the Numenorians have towards death. Okay, let's describe this island in a bit more detail. Numenor was raised out of the sea and was roughly shaped like a five-pointed star, which adds another layer of meaning to Huar's prophecy about a new star rising that we covered in episode 32. The chief city and port was established in the west because it faced the sunset, and thus the undying lands, but the royal capital was established in a more central city. This city was at the foot of a great mountain, quote, tall and steep, that stood a touch off-center of the star-shaped island. This mountain was called Meneltarma, or Pillar of Heaven. I'm going to switch resources here and share some details about the Meneltarma that are described in Unfinished Tales. First, the Meneltarma was, quote, sacred to the worship of Eru Iluvatar. Yes, the Numenorians practiced a religion. I want to share an oft-quoted but misinterpreted line from one of Tolkien's letters, quote, the Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision. That is why I have not put in or have cut out practically all references to anything like religion, cults, or practices in the imaginary world, for the religious element is absorbed into the story and symbolism. Tolkien seems to have left an exception to his cutting out of religious practices when describing the Menaltarma on Numenor, for this mountain was dedicated to the creator of the world and the one being more powerful than even the Valar, Eru Iluvatar, for it was he who brought them into existence. Numenor seems to be the one place where a worship of Iluvatar was mandated and followed, at least for a time. The worship of Iluvatar was conducted through offerings and prayers that were offered at the top of Meneltarma. 
The top of Minotarma was flat and wide enough that a great multitude could stand there. No structure was ever raised there, and it was forbidden for anyone to even utter a word at the top, except the king at three specific points in the year. At these times, the king would lead the people, flat and white, up the mountain by a spiraling road that wound around the slopes. At the top, the king would offer one of three prayers. In the spring, he would offer the Eru Kerme, a prayer for the coming year. In the summer, he would offer the Eru Latalie, a prayer of praise for Iluvatar. And at the end of autumn, he would offer the Eru Hantale, a prayer of thanksgiving. Anyone was free to climb to the top of the mountain on their own in between these times of prayer. But at the top, the silence was so heavy that even a stranger who did not know the customs would be silent. When someone did come to the top, three eagles would perch themselves on the rocks on the west end of the summit. During the times of the three prayers, they would hover in the sky. Quote, they were called the Witnesses of Manwe, the king of the Valar, and they were believed to be sent by him to keep watch upon the holy mountain. There's more that could be said about Tolkien's statement that the Lord of the Rings is fundamentally a religious work, but I hope this description of Menaltarma demonstrates that Tolkien wasn't shy about the religion that was meant to be practiced in Numenor. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The kingdom and its inhabitants enjoyed the protection of the Valar and the friendship of the elves. Because of that friendship, they, quote, increased in stature, both of mind and body. They had their own language, but used the High Elvish to preserve their stories, songs, and records. And the royalty also took names in High Elvish, a practice that even continued with Aragorn in the Third Age, his High Elvish name being Elisar, which I covered extensively, also in episode 32. They became great craftsmen, and being, quote, men of peace, they turned their creative efforts to the art that they loved above all others, the building of ships and sailing the open seas. But on the sailing, the Valar placed a ban. Being mortal men, the Numenorians could not sail so far west, that Numenor could not be seen. Quote, and for long the Dunedain were content, though they did not fully understand the purpose of this ban. Manwe, the king of the Valar, intended for the ban to quell any temptation that mortal men may have to seek for the undying lands, and become, quote, enamored of the immortality of the Valar and the Eldar, and the lands where all things endure. For in the Second Age, the undying lands were permitted to endure as, quote, a memorial of that which might have been if Morgoth had not cast his shadow on the world. So here is a tension on the theme of death that I mentioned earlier. Men are mortal and must pass on. Therefore, they are not allowed to sail west, where immortal beings dwelt and endured. The men of Numenor obeyed the ban, and the far-sighted among them could see, far off in the west, a white city with a great harbor and tower. This white city, however, was not the Blessed Realm, but was the island Tol Eresea, where the elves dwelt, and was the easternmost landmass of the Undying Lands. These elves brought many gifts to Numenor, but perhaps the greatest was a seedling of a white tree, which the Numenorians planted and named Nimloth. This tree of Numenor, Nimloth, gets a mention in The Return of the King, in the chapter called The Steward and the King, and while the scene isn't in Peter Jackson's adaptation, I think the essence of its message is. The scene takes place after the crowning of Aragorn. Gandalf takes Aragorn high into the mountains above Minas Tirith, 
There, Aragorn finds a sapling tree, which Gandalf then describes as, quote, This is a sapling of the line of Nimloth, the fair, and that was a seedling of Galthilion, and that a fruit of Telperion, eldest of trees. Here it has lain hidden on the mountain, even as the race of Elendil lay hidden in the wastes of the north. Yet the line of Nimloth is older far than your line, King Elisar. So the silver tree Telperion, which Yvanna the Vala caused to grow before the beginning of time, had a descendant in the tree of Nimloth of Numenor, which in turn gave rise to the white tree in Gondor. Aragorn's symbol on his armor is a white or silver tree, and even the tree itself in both the books and movies is a symbol of the reign of the king and his line. For more on the eldest of trees, Telperion, go back and listen to episode 2. Because the Numenorians could not sail west, they went north, south, and east. In time, they landed back in Middle-earth, and while at first they made no permanent harbors or dwellings, they instead were teachers to the wild men they found living there. These wild men revered the tall sea kings, even considering them as gods. But eventually the Numenorians, quote, began to hunger for the undying city that they saw from afar, and the desire of everlasting life to escape death grew strong upon them. While their glory and power grew, the Numenorians could not outlast death, and so the shadow of Morgoth began to creep into their hearts. At first they murmured, only, quote, in their hearts, and then in open words, against the doom of men, the doom of men being death, and against the band to sell west. Many began to argue that men should sell west, and meet with their elven friends in their own home. But the Valar sent messengers to Numenor, trying to dissuade them from carrying out their wish. Of the many things these messengers say, they try to teach that death, quote, was not at first appointed for a punishment, and, quote, this we hold to be true, that your home is not here, and the doom of men, that they should depart, was at first a gift of Iluvatar. It became a grief to them, only because coming under the shadow of Morgoth, it seemed to them. This exchange happened 2,000 years after Numenor was established, and in the days of the 13th king of Numenor, descended from Elros. This king and his son desired to increase the wealth and might of Numenor, and they switched from providing teaching to the men of Middle-earth to extracting tribute from them. Now, this king did something really intriguing that hadn't happened before in Numenor. The tradition for royal succession, which started from Elros, was for the king to willingly hand his scepter to his son, and then sometime later, willingly and peacefully leave life. For a great example of this, check out Appendix A in Return of the King, at the end of the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, where Aragorn says to Arwen, after many years of ruling, quote, To me has been given not only a span thrice that of men of Middle-earth, but also the grace to go at my will, and give back the gift. Now therefore, I will sleep. However, the 13th king of Numenor was having none of that. He became the first Numenorian to, quote, cling to his life beyond the end of all joy. He refused to depart and denied his son the kingship. So the people became divided. On the one hand, you have the king's men, who had become proud and jealous of the immortal elves and desired to stave off death and become immortal, while on the other hand were the faithful or elf friends, who desired to keep their friendship with the elves, but even they were, quote, troubled by the thought of death. As time passed, quote, the fear of death grew darker upon the Numenorians, and they delayed it as long as they could, and built great houses for the dead. In their efforts to prolong life, they were successful only in, quote, the art of preserving incorrupt the dead flesh of men. Indeed, there's a passage in the Two Towers, when Faramir is explaining the history of Gondor to Frodo and Sam, he even lays the blame of Numenor's downfall to the fear of death. In part, he says, quote, death was ever present, because the Numenorians still, as they had in their old kingdom, and so lost it, hungered after endless life unchanging. Kings made tombs more splendid than houses of the living, and counted old names in the rolls of their descent dearer than the names of their sons. 
Childless lords sat in aged halls, musing on heraldry. In secret chambers, withered men compounded strong elixirs, or in high cold towers asked questions of the stars. It wasn't long before the Numenorians neglected to offer their first fruits and prayers to Iluvatar, and seldom did anyone go to the top of Minaltarma. Instead, they fortified their strongholds in Middle-earth, making the harbor stronger and the towers taller. But the faithful continued to converse with the elves, especially with Gilglad, king of the Noldor, in the north of Middle-earth. They made a haven at the mouths of Anduin, the great river that the Fellowship took boats down. This haven they called Pelagir, which is the same harbor where Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, with help from the shadow host of the dead, would drive back the navy of the Haradrim and commandeer their ships to sail forth to Minas Tirith. The faithful also sent military aid to Gilgalad, when, in the Second Age, a dark foe had arisen in the east, Sauron, the servant of Morgoth. We'll discuss Sauron's hatred of the Numenorians next time. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.